Yo, what's up, guys? You could have been listening to any other podcast in the world right now. But you're not. You're here listening to mine, and I appreciate you. On this podcast, we'll be sharing stories with people from all walks of life, talking about their journeys, their passions, and any struggles along the way. I'm here to help the stigma around mental health. I'm here to learn with you, get inspired, and have a laugh, and grow into the best version of ourselves. Hi, I'm your host, Craig Howard, and this is the next episode. When I reached out and asked my next guest if they'd like to come onto the next episode to share their story, they were more than happy to. Although it wasn't an easy story to share, they knew that if it was even going to help just one person, it was a story worth sharing. Once we started the talk, I quickly learnt that my upbringing and the life I and others have had so far is one that my guest would have wished for. It is a journey with many twists and turns, a story which shows that we don't always get to choose the cards that we are dealt in life, but that with self-belief, we can find the strength from within to pave the bright future we all deserve. It was such a privilege speaking to someone who has shown immense resilience in times of hardship, and I'm forever grateful to this person for sharing such a personal account of their life and its challenges with myself and my listeners. I know this wasn't easy. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Craig. No problem. And how are you doing, man? What's been happening? Uh, not much, you know, just working, um, studying. I hear you've recently just come from a trip back in Tassie. You went down to Tassie for a little bit? Yeah, we did. So I went down to Tassie, um, just hired a camper van and sort of, yeah, just cruised around and, um, yeah. yeah. I've heard Tassie, there's, they've got like a really good um, museum down there. Yeah, they do, Mona, and we were going to go, um, but yeah, unfortunately, just ran out of time. So, Ryan, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here speak with me today. Um, I've recently spoken to your lovely husband, and, uh, and he opened up uh, about his relationship with, with mental health and his journey and, and talking about, yeah, you know, which also includes you. I only know briefly, but but from what I know, you've experienced a lot in your life, and, and, um, and you've been kind enough to share some of it today. Uh, I know you're a big supporter in, in all things mental health. So, you know, it only made sense to, to sit down and, and I guess pick your brain apart and, you know, if you can open up and tell a little bit about your journey and your thoughts and maybe, you know, the times where, um, yeah, you were, you were feeling low and the battle, I guess, the road. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. Like life is a journey and, and it's been, um, yeah, I mean, it's been difficult at times and, um, you know, I think for me, there's, it's almost like I've lived two different lives. There's, you know, the post 24 year old, um, where things sort of start to gel and, and work out. Okay. And then there's the pre 24 year old where, you know, life was pretty much just chaotic and, um, yeah. So I guess, you know, starting off. Yeah, um, how about we take it back? We take it back to like to your childhood? Yeah, probably just gives, I guess, a bit more context around, um, yeah, yeah let's, let's get a you know sort of an idea of of um, where you came from. So, whereabouts did you grow up? Um, so, I grew up in um, Western Sydney. Um, so, Lower Blue Mountains in Glenbrook. Um, so, yeah, come from a tra- traditional family. Um, Dad would work. Um, Mum would stay at home, look after the kids. Um, life was pretty cruisy. Um, Dad was a heavy pot smoker, um, so he pretty much couldn't function unless he was stoned. So that could be a bit problematic at times. Um, he sort of wouldn't interact with the kids or wouldn't interact with anyone unless he was stoned. So he'd go to work, come home, get stoned, um, and then we could talk to him. But prior to getting stoned, 
you really didn't get a lot out of him. Sure. Um, Mum, she was a social drinker, um, social pot smoker, but didn't really, you know, didn't really use a lot. Um, and then there was myself um, and my sister who was three years. My so you've junior. got an uh, older sister or? Younger sister. Younger sister. And yeah. so you just got one sibling? Yeah. One sibling at this point. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, life was pretty, pretty normal, what I thought was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember um, probably the first time experiencing, I guess, bullying was from, there was a group of, I don't know, maybe five or six teenagers um, who were probably in their late teens um, and they would just ride, ride around the neighbourhood and basically pick on all the younger kids. Um, my sister and I would go out and ride our bikes and stuff. Yep. Um, so yeah. they're like the troublemakers of the neighbourhood yep, kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, right. Um, so, you know, they would just do basic intimidation stuff, you know, you know, tell you to go home and just make you feel like shit about yourself generally. Um, and I remember one time... Being in packs too, you know. Yeah, you know. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I remember one time being out on my bike on my own and the sort of the head ringleader guy, um, I think he was Indigenous but I don't know, he just, I remember him having dark skin. Anyway, he took an interest and we started having a conversation which I remember thinking was a bit odd at the time because he had been so hostile previously. Um and so he ended up saying, you know, come, you know, come down here. There was, you know, um, like a bush area on the side of the National Park. Um, and he said, you know, come down here. I want to show you something. Right. Um, so, you know, being, I think I was probably six or seven at the time. Um, so obviously followed him, you know, I think somewhat out of fear because, you know, he was an asshole. Um, so followed him um, down to, you know, down to the bush and, um, he ended up um, sexually offending against me um, down the bush. Um, and obviously, you know, I remember just being petrified and thinking, what the hell's going on? Um, so how, how, how old was this? Um, so he would have been about 18 or 19. Um, and how old were you? And I was about seven at the time. So. Seven, seven years old. Yeah. Um, so and I remember going back home and, yeah, just not being able to talk about it. Um, I don't know why, um, obviously, because I was just fearful of, you know, what my parents would say. Um, so I didn't say anything and sort of just kept on going. And so you, you completely kept that to yourself? Yeah. Yep. Like it n- never got brought up, you never, and that was just, and you just carried on? Yeah, just, um, yeah, just carried on. You and kept it, that in you? And it, there was probably, I mean, I can't remember now. Wow. Um, how many subsequent times there were, but there were further times that it took place, um, probably over, you know, a period of two or three years. Um, yeah, and I just kept it to myself um, and sort of really didn't say anything. Um, and eventually we ended up moving from the area and that's when it sort of ended. So that's good. That was a positive thing. Um, yeah. And your parents never, like, so that never got brought up with your parents um, and you kept that... You kept that with you. Yep. Yep. I just, yeah, I just didn't feel feel like I could tell them. Um, you know, I never felt distant from my parents, but, yeah, I guess I just, yeah, didn't feel comfortable, you know, talking to them about what had happened. Um, so. And nothing ever, so that guy never got brought to the, you know, to light, like he never, he never. No, I, I'm later in life I did think about, um you know, trying to track down the person and, you know, take them to court and that sort of stuff. Um, but then I guess there'd be a part of you wanting to, like, 
leave that behind and not yep. bring up old absolutely yep. old memories man that sounds very tough um and and traumatizing you know to, to think back at that point even now and you sharing that with me um man that's um i'm, I'm sorry that that happened um would you say that going through your teens you know you you were sort of in the, like a normal teen would you say mm-hmm. that like or no were you- i was no, there was nothing about my teenage years that were normal. Um, we, after we moved from um, Western Sydney, we moved to the Blue Mountains and um, mum and dad split up at that point. Um, so dad went out for groceries one day. It sounds, sounds kind of funny now, but went out for groceries one day and just didn't come back. Um, well, he just, he, he went out, what, got groceries and that was it? Yep. Just went out for groceries and never. Sure, there was more to that. Surely there was. I'm sure yeah, there was leading on to yeah, then like. I'm sure there was. Um, you know, <laughs> from, get, from just my off parents, to get some milk and bread, and from my parents' perspective, I'm sure there was you know other stuff that was going on. But from you know from being a kid and just looking at the situation, it was like one day he was there and sort of the next day he wasn't. Um, Man, that would have been really tough um, because I talk about in in my sort of um, my episode about my parents splitting up and you know that was so tough on me, but my father was still around. He's still, you know, he, he was still there. You yeah, know what I mean? He was still a father, just that we weren't living at home together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to just, I guess what vanish. Yeah. He, um, so I was about 11 when they separated and I didn't hear from him again until probably my mid twenties. Um, when he contacted me via email, um, yeah, and touch base, and that was the first time I'd heard from him since that time. Um, so it was like he just disappeared. Um, so, you know, I guess in a sense I went through that grieving period of him just not being there. So, like, not having a, a father figure um, for many years, did you have any other sort of male role models around with you um, growing up? Mum, um, after Dad left, Mum sort of lost the plot. Um, so she would go out um, and drink heavily. Um, and leave you and your sister? Yeah, so I would stay at home with my sister. Um, so I was about 11. Mum would go out. I'd stay home with my sister. Um, and she also, at this point, had a, a young, um, another young child. Um, it was my brother. Sure. And I remember he was about 12 weeks old. Um, so he was at home. My sister was at home. And mum would go out. And it was my responsibility to basically care for them and look after them and get my sister ready for school. And Well, man, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's, and you had to grow up. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. You, yeah, you had to grow up and, and take take charge of the house and, and, and um, yeah, to look after your sister. And, well, I mean, that's, um, that sounds really, really challenging. Yeah, it was stressful. I remember, um, you know, there was times when my brother just wouldn't sleep and I would sit by the bassinet at night time and just rub his back um, for hours until he would fall asleep. And, yeah, looking back, I don't, I don't know how, you know, I got through, you know, being a pseudo-parent, I guess, especially at 11. I was just, yeah, I just fumbled my way through it um, and knew that I didn't really have a choice, you know, and there was this other human dependent yeah, on me to... Sure. Like that's when I, when I say, like, you know... There's, it comes with different stages in people's lives, but like you know, although like life throws curveballs at you, you know, at any age in, in your life, that you you have to learn how to catch them, so to speak, and like learn how to deal with it. Absolutely, um, yep. you know, life goes on, mm-hmm. and yeah. So when you, I guess, were finishing up your schooling, and what what sort of path did you go down then, or what 
you know, what were you up to sort of then? Like, did you, were you working or? Um, so schooling was shit. Um, I hated school. Um, school sucked, right? Yeah. I hated school. Absolutely. So, yeah, High school tough. was a nightmare. Um, so, yeah, got was bullied continually at high school. What do you think you got bullied? Um, you know, I was pretty quiet. Um, I was a fairly pretty looking boy. Sure. Um, and that really wasn't something that was good. Um, you know, I, I guess the guys especially always used to, you know, tease me and, you know, make comments about my prettiness and, you know, looking like a girl rather than a boy. And yeah, I hated it. Just um, being, yeah. Yeah. Just freaks. being different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. And that, um, and that still happens to this day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, bullying's a real thing. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I have no time for bullying. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I hated school. Um, How did you go at school? Um, to be honest, I didn't really spend a lot of time there. Sure, um, yeah. I left, I eventually left at the end of year seven. So I did my first year at high school. Um, and then I remember going home and saying to mum, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game. I can't do this. Um, and she, you know, she didn't really care at the time because she was off getting drunk. Um, so she said, well, if you get a job, um, you can stay out of school. So I remember getting what? a job. So you're talking grade 7, like 12, 13? Yeah, so I was um, 13 and 9 months at the time and you could legally be employed at that age. Okay. Um, so, yeah, got my first job at, at that age and working in retail and, yeah, working for pretty much $4.21 an hour. Um, yeah. Man. Wow. So um, I got my first job, but I guess during that period when I first got to the Blue Mountains, um, when Dad had just left, there was a, a gentleman that lived two doors down from us um, and he obviously identified that mum was struggling, she had kids, um, and that I was the primary, you know, care provider. Um, would you say, that, sorry, would you say like your mum was just, was she a straight alcoholic? Was she, was yeah, she... it was pretty, it was pretty bad. She was off tap. So she had pretty much checked out. Um, and so the guy down the road, relationship developed, he started sexually offending against me. Um, I remember trying to go to high school and manage that. So, you know, and that went on for probably three years. So it, that period was just shit, really bad. And I remember... I think mum must have started um, clicking on that something wasn't quite right with me. Um, so she decided to pack us all up and move us to the Central Coast. So that was a blessing. Um, was she aware? Um, I've she had conversations. Just see how you were. Yeah, she, um, she could just see that something wasn't quite right, something wasn't okay. Um, I must have started, I guess, demonstrating behaviour that made her think something's not okay with my son. So... She took us to the Central Coast and um, we had extended family out there and mum sent me around to my grandmother's and, um, yeah, I ended up disclosing to her what had happened. Um, and so mum got me counselling and that was probably the first time, um, you know, that I got any sort of help. Yep, got any sort of help and to be able to, exp- like, talk about yeah, you know, in a way of raw, honest, like... Yep. I mean, that would have been so difficult. And it was, I guess, that for me was probably the first time that I'd had contact with an adult who just demonstrated unconditional positive regard and love. And 
that sort of stuff. So, you know, I saw her for um, three years, um, twice a week for three years, um, and I'm almost 40 now and I'm still in contact with her, not not on a client um, counsellor relationship level, but just on, you know, friendship level. Sure. Um, so, sorry, so yeah. three years? Yeah. Twice? Twice a week. Twice a week yep. for three years. Wow. That's and, – and was there a point where coming to, you know, the end of the three years that you, you felt – because I can only imagine you going through the emotions and feeling, why me? You know, why? Absolutely. And, and did you ever feel like coming at the end of it that was there a complete change with you in your thought process and how you were then going to be taking on life? Or was um, it always something that you just always had, you just never gave it light, you know, something that you knew was there? Like how was that? How did that I, work? Um, you know, I guess, you know, spending time with my counsellor, I guess it gave me hope that life could be okay. okay. Um, um, but having said that, um, you know, I still struggled with, you know, I was going through puberty. Um, my sexual identity stuff started to, you know, develop during that period. Um, sure, yeah, being open. and Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, it did help, but I think. And still really trying to find Ryan, still yeah. really trying to find who I am um, because that, you know, sounds like it had been taken away from you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and so the counselling was great and we finished up the counselling and I remember, you know, feeling this immense sense of loss, um, not having that connection there anymore. But, again, knew it was the right time. Um, and from then, um, you know, so it would have been, you know, my early teens, uh, sorry, late teens, um, things went a bit off the rails. So I started, you know, smoking, dope. Um, was drinking heavily. Um, I had moved out of home um, not long after I got my first job, so I'd been living, you know, in share houses yep, and things yep. like that. So, yeah. So you always so substances were was yep. something that was around and that you were using absolutely often. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that pretty much continued to spiral. Um, so I pretty much was using everything, pills, whatever I could get my hands on. Um, and I remember I started engaging in petty crime um, to fund that because um, obviously Centrelink um, wasn't really cutting the mustard. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, and I guess I at, at that point I just I hated myself so much and just had this sense of worthlessness um, that I thought, what can I do to make money and, you know, experiencing the sexual abuse over the years I just felt like I'd been used um and I remember thinking mm, I'll start working so I decided to move to Sydney um and become a sex worker um so I started doing that um so moved, moved to Sydney and that was your line of work yep and that was your way of to get ahead or to also continue on um you know I guess adding fuel to the fire and continuing it spiraling with yeah, the substances. Yeah, I, I think continuing, continuing to spiral, um, spiral. I had no no ambitions to be anything different. I just wanted money to support my habit pretty much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the self-loathing, I think, at that point was was pretty high. Um, so I just I really didn't care what happened to me at that point. Um, and so I remember working in Sydney and had been using everything but hadn't touched heroin because I knew that that was, you know. It was the next level. Probably next level situation. Um, so obviously. But was it around? Yeah, it was around and 
I started using it. Accessible, yeah. And so... And that was probably, once I started using heroin, that was probably the point that I started thinking, hmm, you know, we can't really get much lower than this. Um, We're we're at the low of lows here. Um, And I remember thinking um, to myself at the time, surely, um, you know, surely there's got to be more to life than this chaotic mess that I've lived so far. Um, So... I drove myself from Sydney um, to a motel halfway in between Sydney and Melbourne um, and hired a room for two weeks and locked myself in there and basically detoxed um, from heroin. By yourself, completely by yourself. And so there was a a part in you that wanted better and had the strength to pull yourself out of that situation and what you were doing to then slowly start detox but recovery for your mind and body to then yeah change yeah so you're in this motel so in this motel um and i just remember laying there on the bed on the bed because withdrawing from heroin is pretty horrific um and i remember just feeling so depressed um and that you know um just that was it worth it was going through this pain of detox worth it however i just you know just went through it, just um, made a commitment to myself that, you know, I wasn't going to leave until the substances were out of my body and that I could, you know, live without them. Yep. And so once you, you know, what you said, you were there for a couple of weeks, what was your next movements? So next movements from there. Like obviously um, you wanted to you get away from, you know. Yeah, so um, I actually picked up the phone and spoke to my mum, who I hadn't spoken to for quite a few years. Um, went and spent some time at her place um, briefly and that was just to reconnect um, and try to find my bearings and decide on sort of what was the next point of of call to go to for life Um, and um, I ended up um, moving to Darwin um, after that just for a completely new change. Um, So you were hopping around? Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, 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 hopped around. So... Okay, so you found yourself up north, so Darwin was your next place? Yeah, Darwin was the next um, adventure. So I arrived in Darwin, um, was in a relationship, a fairly unhealthy relationship. Was any, sorry, was there any reason to head up to Darwin? Or like somewhere that you just hadn't been before? No, somewhere I hadn't been, um, had heard positive things about it. So I thought, "Mm." Yeah, I've done that. I've sort of like city hopped, you know, just packed my bags and that was me onto the Um, next lot. So yeah, up. Up north. Um. Yeah, loved it. Loved Darwin itself. Um, great place. Um, and you in a relationship? Yeah, in a fairly toxic relationship. Um, my partner at the time um, was using marijuana quite heavily. Um, I wasn't smoking at the time, wasn't drinking, um, was really trying to live sort of drug-free. Um, our relationship wasn't going well, and I remember um, one night going out to a gay nightclub, I think there was only one in Darwin at the time. Um, so I went out, was having a great night. Um, however, um, yeah, had my drink spiked. Um, and I remember waking up um, on the side of the road early hours in the morning. Um, I sort of got my bearings, got back home. Um, and I was fairly certain that, you know, I had been sexually abused or offended against or whatever you want to call it um and I think for me that was um I guess my mental sort of breaking point um I just 
you know, I started becoming really vengeful and I just hated the world and hated everything. You're moving up there to, you know, to start a better life and to escape from everything that you knew. And then, you know, this, this happened and, so, and you had no like memory of the night. Or, but no, I remember being in the club. Um, I remember talking to somebody and drinking. Was your partner there? No, my partner was at home because um, he was fairly antisocial, didn't want to, you know, socialise with people. He was just really interested in smoking cones and staying at home. Um, yeah, so. So it sounded like it went from like bad to worse. Yeah, it or, did. In a sense of like, well, it wasn't better. No, it wasn't better. Um, and I guess, um, I don't know, I felt like something had snapped um, or something wasn't quite right anymore um, in my mind. Um, you know, I found myself like going to the supermarket and just being, you know, someone might do something, you know, and my response to that would be quite elevated and quite angry. Um, and I actually started thinking, you know, I felt like lashing out at people and hurting people and I thought, mm, probably not. So you were um, really breaking, really coming yeah. unstuck. Um Yes, I started fearing basically that I was going to do something stupid to um, either myself or somebody else. Um, So I ended that relationship, um, moved again, um, this time to Cairns. Instilled quite a um, a raw, sensitive uh, mental state. Absolutely. So definitely not uh, moving to a new place with a healthy mind. No, no way. Um, um, still feeling really fragile. I got to Cairns and I remember thinking, I can't go on like this because I'm going to do something stupid. So um, went to the hospital and um, spoke to a psychiatrist um, and they basically did a, a, an assessment um, uh, at the time. And it was actually read some scans. Yeah, or, and it just what's what that process like? Just what? ask. They, it's really quite simple. They just really ask a series of questions, yeah, you know, okay. about your life, about your parents, about you know their substance use, um, like a bit of a timeline. Yeah, like, and just and just trying to piece together, you know, what your life's looked like, I guess, to this point. Um, and the you know the doctor basically concluded that. You know, obviously mental health runs in the family because, you know, dad self-medicated the substances, mum did, mum's brothers and sisters were all alcoholics. Um, so, I yeah, that, that, they showed you that road, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I talk strongly um, about, you know, you're only as good as your circle around you and, and unfortunately some people have, you know, a circle like that. Some people don't even have a circle at all. And I think, you know, there's so much stigma about, you know, going to doctors and having diagnosis and things like that. But I think once you finally actually get those diagnoses, you can manage them because you know what you have, you know. So the psychiatrist said that I had major depressive disorder, um, GAD, so general anxiety disorder, and OCD, so obsessive compulsive disorder. So we're talking talking the absolute top of everything you're at that level of yeah. extreme yep um and and the psychiatrist had said that i more than likely suffered depression throughout you know all of my life um so he suggested um medication and i was quite apprehensive about you know um using medication but thought i'd give it a go so i started using it um you know, so we're talking antidepressants? We're talking yeah, any- so I um, started taking antidepressants. Um, I started on a low dose. Yep. Um, 
So I started on 75 mils um, and didn't find it useful. So then went up to 150 mils and found it wasn't useful. So I ended up going on to the maximum dose of 300 milligrams and, um, yeah, it made me really sick. I couldn't eat. Um, I lost about 15 kilos and I was already quite thin. Um, and and just no, no signs of helping your mental state? No. And, and just your overall feeling? I just felt yucking out of it really um felt like i was on drugs on you know illicit drugs but from the pharmacy so wasn't really feeling too happy about it um but the doctor kept saying just persevere with it and you know things will start clicking and gelling um so stayed on the medication um and um yeah i think things i started to feel i guess stable um so decided at that point um, that I just needed some time to try to, you know, find what the next step was. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you, you've, you've been repairing and and it's slow steps, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, yeah. So I um, um, was on government support at the time and I remember thinking, and I wasn't working, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? Um, and I'd always wanted to study at university, however, you know, leaving school, you know, so young. That, and it sounded like, you know, self-confidence to Absolutely. even like, you know, think that that is a possibility, you know, um, would have been tough to overcome. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a society, we tell people that, you know, if you don't go to year 12 or if you don't go to year 10, then you can't go to university. And I thought, mm, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, so I found a university um, that was known for, I guess, taking mature age students on board um, that didn't have the educational background. Sure. So I applied um, and was accepted. Um, so I started studying um, degree in social work. Um, and so I basically spent the next three years studying full-time by correspondence at home um, and that was my drive. That was my one and only focus was just getting up every day and studying. And as long as I got up every day and studied, then I was, you know, I felt like I was achieving something. Um, yes, yeah, so I got to, got to almost the end of studying my degree, um, was feeling stable, still on medication, um, and started thinking, okay, maybe it's time for, you know, maybe it's time for a relationship, I guess. So I just was feeling lonely because um, I wasn't going out. Uh, was but you, you, you felt like you were in a good place with yourself. Um, I mean, obviously you had put those years in and you made like a choice like every day to get up, to study, um, to to learn and, you know, chase a better life. Absolutely. Ultimately. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I started talking to someone online. Um, his name's Nathan. Um, and, you know, we spoke for about six or eight months online. Um, which was great, um, and we ended up meeting, um, just headed off, um, and well, we've been together for almost ten years now. Um, yeah, and I guess it was the first um, relationship that I entered into that was, you know, healthy. He was, you know, he was, you know, um, yeah, not addicted to any substances, which sure. was a great start. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, you had a business. Totally, yeah. And, like, I guess um sound like you just had a lot of respect for each other and, you know, um, which obviously forms a, a nice, a strong connection. Absolutely. And, and so I, all these, you know, trust issues, I guess, that you would have had in the past were these 
all these feelings would have been new. And so they would have been scary, you know, to, to, to bring them because you've never felt some of these, Absolutely. you know, feeling worthy, feeling, yeah. feeling loved for who I am and, and accepted. And someone, you know, allows me to, to be me. Definitely. And I think, you know, I remember, I remember at the time um, entering into the relationship and I remember thinking to myself, I, there was a, initially there was this overwhelming sense of, you know, not being worthy, you know, you know, from where I've come from and wanting to be better but just not feeling worthy of, I guess, that relationship or that quality. Um, however, you know, I worked through that and, you know, shared my story with Nathan and, you know, he was, you know, respectful and, you know, nothing sort of, you know, nothing phased him. He could just see somebody that was trying to. For sure. He didn't allow that to, um, you know, show who you were, like paint a picture of who you were. That's, Absolutely. That's, that's everyone's got a, a, a past and, and a story and, you know, he just, he saw you for who you are yeah. and, you know, allowed you to be yourself. And, Absolutely. And I guess with that, like, kind of um, sort of approach and not just like, you know, seeing judging people, you know, oh, Absolutely. you know, they must be. Must be loopy, yep. you know. Must, my geez, you know, is carrying a lot of baggage. Absolutely. You know, like that's some people just run away from that. Definitely. I mean, a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, that's too scary. It's like people want it, you know, safe and perfect, and you yep. know, like everything's just like all, all shiny, and everyone's everyone's lived this amazing, you know, life where everything's just was just all roses and absolutely. But that's not the truth. No, it's, you know, it's, it's far from. Um, and I, you know, I think everybody is, you know, everybody has suffered and experienced, you know, loss and, you know, some sort of mental illness at some stage in their life. Um, you know, and I think it's really important to highlight that, you know, while you experience those things and you go through really dark times, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's sure. just about, you know, holding on ultimately. Well, for you to even be able to share this story with myself and the listeners today, like, shows like how far you've come you know, and your growth and your your confidence and your mental state now. I mean, but like I say, like, it's not like you can just flick a switch and this happens. This has been a long, long road. Like, how, how old are you now? Um, so I'm almost 40 now. And, like, so. the timeline's gone back to, I guess, when you were seven years old, yep. you know, and, wow, that's a, that is a, that is a story, man. That is a battle. Yeah, it has been a battle, absolutely. I mean, one thing that, like, I want to point out is, like, like I can see how much love that you have for yourself. I mean, like, obviously that's taken a long time to even like yourself, but to be proud of who you are and, and to have that confidence, man, that, um, like that's an, that's incredible to, to be able to get to the place to where you are, to, to where you were. And I'm so happy to be able to have this conversation with you and, and for us to be able to share this with our listeners and hopefully like they can, I mean, can, can listen in a way to possibly learn something. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Hey? Yeah, we're just absolutely. trying to share a story here. And yep. So where were we? We've got a little bit off track there. Um, so, yeah, so I finished, um, finished my undergraduate degree um, and I guess it's the first time that I had really successfully completed anything when I look back throughout my life um, and I'm sure the medication assisted with that. So I thought, and I had a really good study routine down. Well, it sounds like one was one of the sort of first things that you actually really um, started, yep. you know, and, and completed. Absolutely. Um, and I think my confidence from that really Huge. grew. Huge. Um, so I continued to study um, and, and really wanted to now start to help people with their own struggles, um, you know, and I had worked in, 
you know, various different community service organisations, um, but sort of fell into the work of working with prisoners. Um, and so, yeah, so now basically, um, yeah, working with prisoners in prison um, and helping them with their you know, mental health issues and reintegration needs and, um, yeah, I think this perception in the community that, you know, um, prisoners are bad people and they go to prison to be punished, which, you know, in part is right, but most of them have come from, you know, incredibly traumatised backgrounds and have their own issues. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there would have been many times in my life where my path could have led to incarceration. You know, I engaged in criminal behaviour. The only difference was I didn't get caught. Yeah, that's it. You know. uh, yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, you know, they're no different to anybody else. Um, and I think they're probably the people, you know, most in need. So yeah, and, and like, and some of them have never received any help. Absolutely. And some of them may never receive any help. And so, like, I guess out of what I can take out of from your um, story, Ryan, is like they, you, you, you did get lucky. Yeah, in, absolutely. In the sense of yeah, the right person at the right time to connect yeah. with. So, like, I just want to, like, extend on that to say, like, you – should never give up, you know, finding that right circle around you to, to help support you. Um, you never know what you may need to hear at any particular time. And so, you know, I, I guess to sort of go off that, like people can, you know, seek help and, and see some psychologists and some counselling and, and all this, and it might not have worked for them. Absolutely. And I think and I think this, this is really, I think, really key is that, you know, you – you might see a psychologist and you might leave thinking, oh, you're a bit of a twat, um, you know, I'm not going to seek help again. But I think it's really important that, you know, go and see as many different psychologists as you can, go and see as many different counsellors. It doesn't matter who they are, just keep seeking them out because that one person, that right person that will gel with you and you'll have that connection with, that's the person that will make the difference. That's the turning point. Yeah, absolutely. That is the turning point. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I mean, I, I feel like we're definitely going to um, – have another episode. There's a lot more to, um, to to talk about. But from what you've shared, um, I, I thank you so much for giving me your time and and sharing your story. Yeah, we'll leave it on that note. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks so great. much, Ryan. Thank you.